you would, turn the Bible to Revelation chapter 22. This is the final chapter of the Bible that we're going to start today. We'll go ahead and tell you guys that we're going to do three weeks of it, all right? We're going to do today, and then uh, next week, we're going to look at uh, the following verses, and then the next week after that, two weeks from today, we will finish up uh, the book of Revelation. It's been a nice, long journey, and today we start the final chapter. The final chapter of the Bible begins with an emphasis upon living water. But it didn't take you getting to the final page of the Bible for you to be aware of what living water is. You have heard of it before. And what a beautiful way for the Bible to end. Because you know that it is Jesus who talks multiple times about him being the one that gives living water, the one that quenches thirst, the thirst that you have on the inside of you. That, as some people have described it, that hole in your heart that lets you know that nothing in this life satisfies except Christ himself, except for the love of God through the forgiveness of sins and the acceptance by your creator that you can be his and that he is well pleased with you. That satisfaction can only come through knowing Jesus Christ. And Jesus describes that as the living water. If you read the gospels uh, twice in the book of John, Jesus brings up the living water. And so it is very fitting as we get to the end of the Bible, Revelation, and we're looking at heaven, and we see heaven being described, that the living water is brought up again. But it's not brought up the same way it is in very objective discussion like Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. That's where the first time it comes up in John chapter 4, and you remember that. It's not as clear as that. This is more symbolic. This is the way Revelation has been for a while. This is imagery of heaven. It's got the throne. It's got the streets of gold. It's got a, a river that makes glad the city of God, which we just read about in Psalm 46. What a great connection that is. But it is the living water. It is the life-giving work of God in our lives. Life-giving is a popular phrase these days, isn't it? You use that. Uh, people talk about being refreshed and being satisfied and things that give them life. I hear people speak like that a lot. Some people say that their children are life-giving, and they don't know what they would do without their kids, not to be confused with people who say their kids are life-taking, right? And they are so drained by their, by their kids, right? We hear people talk that way too, but people do talk about things being life-giving, their children. We know people who, once their kids have grown and moved away, have in seemingly lost motivation for life because their kids were life-giving, and they've lost that. We know people that say exercise is life-giving, and if they can't exercise, they can't be happy. Exercise is life-giving to them. They just feel better about everything. It makes their whole lives go together if they can do that. And if they don't have the, the identity and the, uh, the, the, the ability to exercise, they, they can't enjoy life. Life-giving. People use the phrase life-giving a lot. But the truth is, is that we are all looking for things to give us life, and those things come or go. If it is your kids, then while you have those kids, you feel like life is fine, but you don't have your kids forever. If it is exercise, you feel like life is fine, but you will not exercise forever. And what if you were to not be able to exercise? The Bible teaches us that you and I are to get, get life from Jesus. In that very clear passage in John chapter 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. God is to be the life giver. You and I are to know him as the source 
of our lives, as the key to our lives, as the center of our lives, as the power working in our lives, as the foundation of our lives, as the purpose of our lives. Christ Jesus is to be the life giver for you. And the final chapter of the Bible is about that. Read with me the first five verses of Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The Bible here is giving us yet another picture of heaven. It's giving us another description of what eternal life with God in heaven will be like. We've been seeing this from the previous chapter, chapter 21, and yet we have it here more. Today, I want to focus in on these three examples of life. The first one is the water of life. The second one is the tree of life. And while it isn't mentioned exactly the same way, the third one is the light, L-I-G-H-T, the light of life. As we'll see later, Jesus is described as the light of life, and no doubt it is Jesus here that is the light in heaven at verse 5. Number one, the water of life. The passage begins like so many passages in Revelation begin. The angel shows John another scene, another picture. The angel showed me, and this time it's the river, the river of the water of life. So John's been looking at heaven. He's been looking at the throne. He's been looking at what's going on in heaven and the worship there and the gathering there, this new city where the lamb is the focus. Remember last week we talked about the lamb with five different emphases on the lamb from the passage at the end of chapter 21. This is the same scene. This is still heaven. This is still the throne. And yet this time he sees a river. And the water is not just water, but it's living water. It's the water of life coming out of this river. It says here that it's bright as crystal. The same thing that happened last week is the same thing that's happening this week. The same thing that happens in chapter 21, the same thing that's happening in chapter 22 is that God is wanting us to see that this is the best thing you've ever seen. This is the most satisfying thing that there ever will be. Heaven really is all that. It's all that it is supposed to be and even more. For as much as we long to know what heaven is like and we picture no more crying there, no more pain there, nothing cursed there, no more sin there, we really can't fathom it. We can't even get it. And he's trying here to describe us, to describe it to us. We get these pictures Heaven, a throne, a river, water that's alive, that's living. It's bright as a crystal, and it's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Notice that the Lamb, I've said this week after week, the Lamb is always central to heaven. There are zero discussions of heaven, zero understanding of heaven accurately without Jesus being at the center of it. And notice that it's not just the name of Jesus, but is the Lamb, which is a way of describing Jesus as the one sent to die, the sacrifice for sins. 
May you start today, if you haven't already, with all of your understanding of heaven, who goes there, who, what it's like, why it's so rich. May it center upon Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. The lamb is there by the throne of God, with the throne of God, and this river with living water flows through the middle of the street of the city. What a scene. It's hard for us to picture that. You might have a street in a city, and you might have a beautiful river beside the street, but can the river flow on the street? So no cars there, just boats there? This is imagery, folks. This is imagery of just, wow, that's awesome. But the idea behind it is not so much streets and rivers. The idea is life-giving power coming from the throne. Heaven is the ultimate fulfillment of God being the center of everything. Heaven is the ultimate understanding, all being right, of thirst being quenched of satisfaction. You remember when the psalm said that in your presence there is fullness of joy? You remember those passages in the Bible that remind us that God is the one that satisfies? This picture here is a picture of full and constant replenishment. This is, now I'm good, I don't need anything. I'm content, I'm satisfied, I'm not thirsty, I'm not hungry, I'm not itching or scratching to figure out what's missing, what's lacking. I'm in heaven with God and the throne has a river flowing of life-giving water that satisfies everybody and everything there. The water of life. Now, we don't come to the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, and get hit by this and like, whoa, what is that? You know, do I even believe Josh and what he's saying? You know, what's going on here? This has been talked about a lot in the Bible. Now, for the sake of turning, you don't have to turn with me, but I do want you to take notes. I do want you to pay attention, okay? Ezekiel, Old Testament prophet, Old Testament prophet chapter 47. Listen to what it says. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold... Water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Water flowing from the temple? You go a little bit later in the same chapter, Ezekiel 47, 12, listen to this. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. The water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. That very language is in this passage. That comes from Ezekiel. You turn a little bit later to Zechariah, one of the minor prophets that's here at the end of the New Testament. Listen to this, Zechariah 14, 8. On that day, okay, on that day, which often in the prophets refers to that end day with the return of Christ and the establishment of heaven. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. Zechariah prophesying about living waters flowing out from Jerusalem, that that is coming. And we got a lot of people looking for seats. That's a good thing. We need to be able to get some, get some people some seats. If you can scoot in a little bit, scoot in a little bit. 
We're trying to create some seats for you. Yeah. There we go. All right. We're pointing out here that the Old Testament has been telling us about living water flowing, but we, we gloss over that, and we act like Jesus, the first time bringing up living water, is kind of like this weird analogy, and how do we make sense of this? There are other passages, but remember Psalm 46 that Matt McBroom read just a little bit ago? We don't usually read a psalm in the middle of the service, but in Psalm 46, this is a very familiar passage. It begins with, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Many people know Psalm 46, one. Psalm 46 ends with, be still and know that I am God. Lots of people know that. But in the middle of Psalm 46, you have this verse, verse four. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. A river, the city of God, the gladness Think about this. These are themes that have been discussed throughout the Bible that are pictures of what we're moving forward. And then we get to the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, and that's the center. Well, you and I are not to be preoccupied with streets of gold and cities and rivers and all of that, but we are to understand that there is life-giving power coming from God that is to be the case now today by faith, and that will absolutely be the case in heaven. Jesus is to be the life-giver for you. In John chapter four, the passage that's already been mentioned is where we hear Jesus speak of this. Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And you know the story. He asks her for a drink. And she thinks that he shouldn't be asking her for a drink because they weren't supposed to talk to Samaritans. They didn't. And here's what unfolds. Verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked me. You would have asked, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Listen to this. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him. Listen to this. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's the picture of Revelation 22, that God is the satisfier, that what Christ has done inside of anyone who truly believes is a flowing river giving life that has satisfied us on the deep down, on the inside. Jesus is the life changer, he's the soul satisfier, he's the sin forgiver, he's the purpose giver. Jesus is the answer to life. And he says this to the lady here, clear as can be in referring to water. Upon him saying that to her, she responds in John 4, 15, sir, give me this water. And you too, if you will turn from your sins and believe wholeheartedly in Christ, will be satisfied on the inside. Everything on the outside may not be all satisfied. You may not get all that you've dreamed of and all your problems may not go away, but your soul and the peace with 
God and the comfort that comes from being loved by your creator and father in heaven will be as real as real can get. And nobody can take that away from you. We know what it means to be thirsty. Yes, we do. You've been thirsty before. You've had dry mouth, cotton mouth, and you've thought, man, I just got to have something to drink. I'm like, I'm climbing up here. I'm choking. I need some water. And you've gotten that water, and you've thought, oh, my goodness, this is, this is so good. This is the thirst quencher. I need this. And the Bible wants us to know that that is the very thing that Jesus does for us. I've told this story before, but in 2002, I went on a backpacking mission trip to Ethiopia, Africa. At the time, it was the poorest nation in the world. I think it's like one or two or three right now. And we just hiked and hiked and hiked. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. At the time, I was a current active college basketball player. I thought I was in such good shape, and hiking through the Ethiopian mountains was too difficult for me. In our backpacks, we took uh, water purifiers, and they didn't work. They broke. And you can't drink the water there. You'll get sick. I get sick everywhere I go anyway, so I knew I would get sick if I did that. So we went as long as we could without drinking water. And then we went as long as we could just trying to live off Coke as our hydration. And it didn't work. And the true story is, before long, Days and days and days of just hiking with backpacks and sleeping in the dirt, we gave out. I went with a buddy, and he literally passed out. He went unconscious. We were so far away from anything, we would have never survived until somebody brought us water. We literally laid there in the desert mountains of Ethiopia, Africa, until somebody we didn't know showed up with water. We couldn't stand up, we couldn't move, we couldn't keep going. We were in a bad spot. But sure enough, somebody brought water, a little bit, and it perked us up enough to where they said, if you can make it that far, there is lots of water there. And it's a picture that I can remind myself of how essential water is to our lives, and you know that. You have to be hydrated. This is the beautiful analogy that Jesus uses, that he, he is the one that can satisfy you on the inside. He understands you better than anybody else. He understands the difficulties you're dealing with. He understands the troubles that you're facing. He understands the longings that you have. He understands the disappointments. He understands the frustrations and the sinfulness that you're still bearing. He knows. And he offers to you that he gave his life for you on the cross. He suffered and died in your place. He took the punishment that he might provide for you quenched life everlasting life. This picture of Revelation 22 is the throne of heaven with the river coming out of it, flowing with the water of life. What a picture that is. When I was a kid, I loved to catch animals and put them in aquariums. I've told y'all that many times before. I was so into this. I would get aquariums and I would go catch lizards and turtles and frogs and salamanders and all that stuff. And I would keep them in there and you put a little bit of water in there and a couple rocks and it it looked so cool. And I'd go to Walmart and get me a pump and it just looked awesome. I loved doing that. I loved recreating like, man, this looks like the, the, the jungle right here in my bedroom or right here at my house. I've got that. And that first day it did look so awesome. 
But if you've ever had pets before, it didn't take long at all, and I'm serious, before it became the stankiest thing you have ever seen. Green, thick, and it became obvious that if you wanted to have this awesome pet lizard or pet turtle that lives in water, it took a ton of work. I'm reminded of this every time I go to the Cheddars that's right down here, because I got that big awesome aquarium right there, and you'd love to look at that. And every time I see that, I think, that's beautiful. Somebody's doing a lot of work to keep that look beautiful, keep that looking beautiful. But as a kid, I was reminded that, that this is awesome the way that this looks, but it doesn't stay fresh. You've noticed that at home, haven't you? A bucket of water sitting outside, some water that's been left out. When it rains there, how long does it take for a bucket to fill up with water and the sun to come out? And before you know it, it's a mosquito bed, right? I mean, things get stagnant, and that is a beautiful picture for what's going on inside of you without Christ. Yes, you go to this thing that's life-giving, you start exercising. Yes, you start this new diet, and it's life-giving for you. And yes, you love going to your kids' ball games, and it's so much fun. But then they stop playing ball, and you're like, what's going to be the source now? I've got to turn and find another thing to be life-giving. And the Bible wants us to understand that God is the life-giver. The Bible wants us to understand that there is a living water that he supplies, and heaven is going to be that. That in all its fullness. You will not be able in heaven to look for everything else that gives you life to provide you life. It will not. There is no mention of that. That's the great question for all believers. Will this be in heaven and will that be in heaven? And we've talked about that through the book of Revelation, but the Bible gives us none of it. There is a life giver in heaven and he satisfies through and through. It is always replenished. It's always clear. Bright as a crystal clear, it says, but it is none other than the lamb of God slain for you. There is living water in Jesus, and heaven is a flowing river of that water of life. But as we would expect, if we keep moving on in verse 2, right by the water of life, we hear the tree of life. And while we may not have recalled much about the living water, you are familiar with the tree of life because it comes from that great old passage from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis where there are two trees. You remember that, right? The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look what it says in Revelation. Through the, verse 2, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Wow. Fruit-bearing trees in heaven by the river. Isn't this awesome? This life-giving God, this living water, produces fruit, produces fruitfulness, produces good things. What a picture this is. I mentioned Genesis, and if we turn back to Genesis, I think y'all can find Genesis rather quickly, more than those minor prophets. If you'll turn back to Genesis 2, let's see what it talks about the tree of life. Genesis chapter 2, this is verse 8. Remember, sin had not entered the world yet. We have Adam here. Okay? We don't have Eve yet. She's made at the end of chapter 2. So chapter 2, verse 8, we have this. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. 
And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. There's our tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river, see how this is very familiar with the end of the Bible? A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. That sounds like chapter 22 of Revelation, doesn't it? And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The story unfolds that Adam and Eve disobey God and God curses the whole world. If you'll turn over to the end of chapter three, Look at this. Turn over to the end of chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden. Does everybody see that? Because of sin, the relationship with God has been messed up. Because of sin, the Fellowship with God has been messed up, and that's true in your life today. Because of sin, the world is cursed, and the living water is no longer present in the life of a human being. The living water does not come back to satisfy the heart until we come to Christ. We have a picture of this unfolding here in Genesis of what's happened to the whole world. Genesis 3, verse 24, he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way, look at this, to guard the way to the tree of life. The tree of life has been cut off from humans because of sin. And the only way back to the living power of God, the river of water of life, the tree of life, is through the lamb who died for your sins. In heaven, all of that comes back together. R.C. Sproul writes, the final description of paradise, which is in Genesis contains elements alluding to the Garden of Eden. But the apex of history is more significant than the beginning. The garden is now also a city, and the light has driven out all the night. Commentator Wilcock writes, the first chapter of the Bible describes how God made the world, and the last chapter of the Bible shows how he will remake it. You have these themes, don't you? Living water, flowing water, River, from the throne, God, sin, the lamb, redeeming sin, and the tree of life, it's there. But notice what the tree of life does. It so masterfully is fruitful. Look how it's described. Twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. By the way, that was mentioned in that uh, Ezekiel passage. That was, I mean, it was mentioned in that Zechariah passage that we read. Literally, that the, fruitful, that the fruitful tree would bear fruit for the healing of the nations. We see that here. Think about how much we understand that the world and all the nations need healing. Find encouragement this morning that Revelation says, on the very last page, that they will have it in heaven. 
God will do the healing that this world needs through Christ, ultimately in heaven. Make sure you're there. Make sure that your life has the living water in it. But what the living water does, obviously, is it bears fruit. It brings us into place with the tree of life, which we were separated from in the Garden of Eden, that humanity has been separated from. And in so many ways, that is one clear explanation for what's going on with the world. We've been cut off from the life giver because of our sins, and the redeeming work that God's doing in our lives when we come to Christ is we are brought back into relationship with the life giver, and he bears fruit. And folks, bearing fruit is such a beautiful description of what the living water does. We've talked about it often, and there are so many people these days that bear the name of God or church or Christian that just don't bear fruit. And it's a drag, it is, it's a huge drag having to deal with and navigate and sort through all of the ugliness that happens in the name of Jesus. And God have mercy upon us, and God have mercy upon them, and God fix all of that, we hope. But if you can kind of sort through that and say that's not right and that's not right and that's not of God and that doesn't honor God and the way people talk and the way people act all while saying they're Christian is terrible, if you can sort through all of that and get to the bare bones of humble people that need a savior living out their faith in the living water Jesus producing fruit through them, it is all over the place. It is beautiful. I have received email after email Because what happened in Syria and Turkey that Matt just prayed for, where we have all of these people dying, you know who was there right away? Christians. You know who are there right now? Lots of Christians. The Southern Baptist Convention, which we're a part of, has a whole organization called Send Relief who have the planes loaded and the 18-wheelers loaded and the work schedule loaded, and as soon as tragedy strikes, bam, they're there. If you want to hop online today and look up Send Relief, you will see right now the hundreds and hundreds of your people, of your brothers and sisters in Christ that are in a place right now that does not revere Christ, that does not believe his word, that are there loving, serving, sacrificing, and helping simply because humans need help right now. It's a beautiful thing. It is fruitful. It is fruitful. It's a small step. All things considered, it's a little thing. But our church is trying and trying and trying to get involved in our local schools, to get involved in our local neighborhoods. If people need food, if people need support, we want to be bearing fruit. We're not trying to be judgmental to them. We don't tell them anything about they have to believe in Jesus or they have to come to church or anything like that. We say, do you need some food? We've got food. Is there something you need? We want to help. It's a picture of bearing fruit in obedience to Christ. I don't know if you saw this over the weekend, but this past week, Tim Tebow's foundation hosted the Night to Shine. Have you heard of that? What a beautiful thing this is. What a clear picture of bearing fruit. In our day where we are being taught to guard against welcoming anybody into your family that would have a disability, where pregnancies are literally filtered through if there would be any defects there, when there often is suggestion, even recommendation that you might terminate that pregnancy if there are defects there. There are a group of Christians in the love of God, in the name of Jesus unashamedly, 
celebrating those very people with handicaps and disabilities on a large scale. This past week, at the night to shine, listen, over 700 churches in the world, 700 churches, and over 200,000 volunteers hosted over 110,000 people with Down syndrome and mental retardation and physical disabilities and mental disabilities in 46 different nations in the world, and they threw a party for them. It's called the Night to Shine where they dress them up and they create a dance for them and they celebrate them and they tell them that they're loved and that they're beautiful and that they are loved by God, all in the name of Christ. In our day where so many people are self-seeking and trying to find life in ways that satisfy them, what a picture it is of Jesus's life-giving power bearing fruit through his people that they would stop trying to glorify themselves and they would create many, 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 many avenues to celebrate the least of these, the more vulnerable, the marginalized, the undesired. That is an example in the world of so many examples of bearing fruit in the name of Jesus. Heaven shows us that the throne of God will flow with living water and there will be trees around that river and that street bearing fruit. What a beautiful thing that is. What we see lacking in Genesis because of the sins of Adam and Eve that is carried over into all of humanity and the curse of the world, we see fixed, reversed. We see God making all things new and heaven will be God giving life to his people and God getting the glory through all the fruit that is born. What a picture that is. What a thing I want to be a part of. May God do that in us now so that the world can see a taste of heaven. I know it's really common for us to say, oh my goodness, this is heaven, man. This is the best ice cream I've ever had, man. This reminds me of heaven. We talk like that, right? But may the world actually get a little picture of heaven as your humble self sets your eyes on Christ and the living water wells up inside of you, making you never thirsty again for the things this world tries to satisfy you with. May you be quenched from the inside out saying, this world doesn't have anything for me. This world doesn't have anything for me. I've got it all in Christ. My Savior loves me. He died for me. He lives. I'm forgiven. This world don't have it, but I've got it in Christ. And may that faith produce fruitfulness for the world to see a little bit of what heaven is like. But that's not all in this passage. As we get to number three, the light of life. Look at verse three. In heaven, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. In other words, we will find <coughs> In other words, we will finally see God. And think about this. There's nothing to keep us from seeing God. See, in all of our experience right now, seeing God is, there's, there's a divider there. We're blinded because of our sins. He's too holy. We're too unholy. And, and whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, everybody knows that's a no-no. You can't walk into the presence of God. You'll die simply from seeing him. And that's what has always been the case. That's why the Bible says nobody's ever seen God. And that's why you have never seen God. But heaven just drops it like it's nothing. Casual, actually, one little verse. They'll see his face. You know why? Because the holy God 
died for your sins. And if you'll trust him, he'll remove your sins. If you'll surrender all and say, Christ, have me, forgive me, he'll remove your sins. And when holy God removes your sins, you're free. You're forgiven. You're pure. When you trust in Christ, he takes away your sins and he gives you Jesus' righteousness. In God's eyes, you are holy and pure and righteous. And so there's nothing to separate you from God. Christ has made a way. Christ has removed it. You can see God face to face in heaven because there's no sin barrier anymore. And heaven is so used to this that it just says it. They'll see his face. Amen. Amen. May you live now like you know him. And may you long now that soon and very soon you will see his face. Verse 5 And night will be no more. We've already heard this. Revelation has said this multiple times. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. My final point here is the light of life. And so if you'll turn with me to John 1, John chapter 1, this is where we're going to end and we'll be done. I know we got a ton of chili downstairs, and we hope every one of you all will stay and eat. You don't have to pay to eat. It's just a fundraiser for youth. We'd love for you to stay. It's going to be a good time. It's a competition, too, so you can see which chili you like. Some people do beans. Some people don't. Some people put noodles in their chili, if you can imagine. Some people like it spicy, and some people don't. But we're going to have lunch here in just a little bit. But before we do, we end with this. Look at John chapter 1. John begins his gospel by saying that Jesus is God. Look at John 1. In the beginning was the Word, The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, verse 4 is what I want you to see. This is talking about Jesus being God. In him was life. That's simple, isn't it? In him was life. Look what it says. And the life was the light of men. What a phrase. The life was the light. You know, every time that you see real godly fruit, I know there's a whole lot of fake stuff out there in the name of religion. I know that. We're all trying to separate the real from the not real. But when you see real godly Christianity, remember that, the life was the light. When you see somebody in true, humble faith obey God, live for his glory, serve and love and sacrifice. When you see somebody be the real thing, authentic Christianity, shining bright in the world, when you say that's a light in the darkness, that's the real deal right there, may you remember that phrase. The life was the light. And here's what I mean. It's Jesus and his living water working and bearing fruit in his people. I know it's smoky these days. I know it's blurry these days. We, we know that. You know that too. 
But that doesn't mean heaven's not a real place. And that doesn't mean Jesus isn't coming back one day soon. And that doesn't mean when he does, it's not all going to be made clear. It is. In the meantime, the life is the light. May it be true of you that because of your relationship with Jesus, there's living water in you. There's a life-giving source to you. And that life-giving source of you is none other than the love and grace of God working in you. And it's bearing fruit in your life. You are laboring and living to be a blessing in this world. Whatever spot you live in, what street, what home, wherever you work, what school you go to, whatever circles you're in, you want to be the fruit bearer there. You want to be the light there in this world that is not always bright. And may you remember, the light is from the life. The life is the light. Listen to how Wilcock describes this. Two elements have been added to the pristine simplicity of the Genesis picture by the experience of human history. Instead of a garden only, there is now the developed structure of a garden city. I like that phrase. Eve, the mother of all living, has in the plan of God become the ancestress of a great society of nations. The other difference is that the plans of Satan have been maturing also. A curse has come upon the human race, and the nations need healing. That is why the original creation has to be remade. But with the curse removed by Christ, the new creation will eventually be what it was meant to be, the throne at the center of all. And the people of God seeing him, serving him, sealed by his name, and reigning with him in everlasting day. What a desire that is of ours. And what a reality it is for all those who trust in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for revelation. And thank you for the final chapter. God, I pray that thirst would be quenched today as we trust in Christ Father, make us a believing people. Make us an authentic and true people of those who know that the power of Jesus is working in us to create life, to give life, to create healing, to bear fruit. And may it always be that the life was the light. Father, we thank you that Jesus is able to do this work in people, and we pray that you would continue to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.